So the theme of the day, or maybe of the lifetime, is cultivating inner strength. So this is something that uh, has been very current for us since we moved over here, learning to uh, meet many new challenges and living in a different (coughs) culture and um, many new things to learn. And in, in, in doing that, you know, one has to cultivate a certain inner strength. Otherwise we uh, buckle very easily or, or just get swayed by whatever wind might be blowing in whatever direction at any time. And uh, you know, here we all are, sensitive human beings, all of us. And life has its challenges, as everyone here will know. <laughs> So I, I don't know about you, but when I first, uh, my, one of my first attractions to Buddhism was the, was the kind of idea that this would relieve me from any challenges in life. <laughs> if only I knew how to do it, if only I knew how to follow the Buddha's path, then I wouldn't have all those challenges and my life could be easy. And I could have a nice, peaceful, happy life. So... Uh, actually, actually the, the path is it brings us more fully conscious into the, the struggles of life. It, it takes away the distractions. It takes away the, um, the, the opportunities to dissociate or, or um, just indulge in pleasure to avoid looking at the difficulties. But it, and it brings us right into contact with what is actually going on. The whole picture... It's one thing I really love about the Buddha's teaching is he, he points to the whole picture. Not just the good, not, not just the difficult, but all of it together and how, you know, how it's a process. How everything in life is a process and there's a, there's a beginning. There may be a, a, an inspiration towards something good and, and we move towards that and, and we, and we uh, take steps towards that and then we meet, start to meet challenges. And... Uh, if we, if, we, if we give up at the first challenge, then we're never really going to get anywhere. So we, we need to learn how to meet the challenges of life, just the ordinary, extraordinary challenges of life in a skillful way. So this is a, a path of awakening. And there are times when we just want to pull the blanket over us, comforter over us and say, no, I don't want to deal with this now. I don't want to face the path of awakening. I want to just disappear. This is very natural. But if we really have a genuine wish to free ourselves, then you know it's, it's a case of like recognizing that's it can give us a temporary relief, you know. But if we want to move in the right direction, we have to turn and face what's going on, not not turn away. So the the Buddha pointed to the Four Noble Truths, and this is a, an extraordinary teaching. When I first came across this teaching, it was it was like a, an epiphany. It's like a revelation for me, um, because it's saying something different to what anyone else seemed to be saying. So the Buddha is pointing to the fact that there is dukkha, there is unsatisfactoriness. There is suffering. And rather than seeing this as a, as a terrible thing or you know, a, a, um, 
in a fatalistic way. He's pointing to this very fact as a door to the cessation, to the ending of suffering or the ending of unsatisfactoriness. So it's through through turning and facing the the reality of the of the discomfort, the difficulty, the um, the challenge that we can find the the way out of the suffering. It's it's very counterintuitive. So our, our natural instinct is to you know, if things are difficult, go and do something nice, go and eat a cookie, you know, put the TV on or Go for go and see our friend, or call our friend on the phone, and do something that will relieve that. And it does relieve it for just for a little while. It does relieve it. There is some gratification, but it doesn't really last for very long. So if we don't really turn and face the the, the source of our difficulties, then we just constantly, you know, like. Making, putting on these little temporary little reliefs in our life, but we're not really getting to grips with well, what's actually causing this in the first place. So the Buddha pointed to, uh, you know, the cause of, of our suffering or our difficulty is attachment, clinging, and you can also see it as as the attachment to me and mine. It's because I want, you know, I, I, I see myself as a separate individual and I want to protect myself. I want to be healthy, happy, live long, have a good life. And then I start to fear, well, what if, what if uh, I get sick? Then what? Or what if um, we come over here to America and people don't really want to support us? And then what are we going to do? Or, um, you know, I, I, I want to be happy, so I don't want to feel any of those difficult emotions. I don't want to feel, I don't want to acknowledge that actually I have anger. I experience anger or jealousy or fear. I don't want to acknowledge that because I want to be a, a good, happy person and have a happy life. So if we take that, that route, we uh, get into more and more problems because we're not actually looking at the source of our difficulties. We're trying to cover them up and pretend that they're otherwise. And if we have a strong sense of ourself in a, in a certain way, you know, we might want to protect that image, that self-image or that image we want to pro- project. But uh, much more useful is actually to go to to have a really good look at what's actually going on here, and to to face it you know, squarely and have a you know meet it and get to know what's going on. So you know, we all experience, until we're enlightened, we all experience uh, afflictive emotions. Greed, lust, fear, anger, jealousy. Probably can add to the list. <laughs> you know, we, all, we all experience those until, we've, until our minds have, have been cleared from these uh, obscurations. And... It, you know, it really doesn't work to just pretend that they're not happening or to to uh, suppress them. You know, we hear of, of people who've, you know, at the end of their life, when they're not able to to, to keep things together in the same way, you know, these these very 
these character traits come out that, that are not typical, that people who knew them didn't, didn't know before, because it's been kind of, they've kept the lid on it. And it's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a good thing to keep the lid on rage and anger and not to spill it out to everybody. But it, to keep the lid on and not actually have a little look in there yourself is not so good. So we have to have the courage, really, to turn and face and have it, have it investigate what's, what's actually in here, what's the conditioning here, what's the result of the, of the conditioning of this life. And to do it with wisdom, you know, not, not to sort of dive in too deep and, and get into a mess, but you know, little by little to, to, to have a look. And you know, as we do this, in the beginning it can seem like our life is worse than it ever was before we started to meditate. <laughs> and we wonder why we ever started. But it's too late now because we started to, we've already lifted the lid and we had a little look what's in there and oh my goodness, you know. So, so once you've had a peek, that's it. It's, there's no going back. You, you've got to either keep the lid on tight and, and hope it doesn't erupt at any point or, or start to, to work through what's in there. And in doing that, you know, in that practice, we, d- we develop this... It, it is a, it's like a natural um, side effect or whatever. It, it's byproduct is, to, is this sense of inner strength and confidence that develops as we start to turn and face the parts of ourselves that we don't really like or we don't really want to be, but that are, but that are here. So, you know, in, in doing this, it's very important to, to hold this work within the the, I don't want to say framework because it's much more gentle, but like embraced by patience, compassion, <coughs> and, and a, a, a genuine interest, a genuine interest in what's going on. So when we're strongly identified, it's very difficult to have these qualities. You know, we want to get rid of this, get more of that, show that, hide that, you know. But if we can recognize that this, this me, this, this what I am, is a process. It's a process that's been going on since the moment of conception, probably actually before then, but we can say from the moment of conception, this process has been going on, and and then it, you know, we, we're born, and we're born into particular conditions: you know, our family, our physical body, however it may be, and our environment, culture, whether we're born into a you know, healthy and um, healthy, strong body, or into a, a weak body, or a damaged body, or into a you know healthy family, or a family with a lot of difficulties, or a, an environment where there's the support, you know, there's food, water, clothing, lodgings, or where there isn't, there isn't enough. So all of these things influence our selves, what we call ourselves and the relationships that we have with the people around us. The, um, you know, the mentors or the, 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 the um, our caregivers and those supportive and challenging people around us as we grow up, they all influence what we call me now. And 
you know, as we grow, we're, we're, we're kind of molded by, by these things. And we, we bring in a certain, a certain character with us, as every mother recognizes. But, but it's molded and shaped by the environment that we're in. So this me here is, is a conditioned experience. What we take to be me is, is, is very strongly conditioned. And the, you know, the Buddha is pointing to the, the, the natural state or the true nature of mind, which is not conditioned. It is it's that which is, was there before all of this conditioning started to take place and is there behind all of this conditioning as it's taking place and will be here when we finally see and understand and let go of our um, reactions to that conditioning. So, you know, we, we, we feel that we are the, the fear, we are the anger, we are the jealousy, we are the sense of lack, we are the wanting. And it feels like that when, when these states arise. But these are, these are not really truly who we are, who and what we are. These are conditioned states. So if we know that, then we can meet them in a, in a different way. We don't have to suppress them. We don't have to indulge in them, but we can turn and meet them and, and have an interest. Oh, look at this. What's going on here? What does it feel like? Whoa. You know, what does anger feel like? It's hot, it's powerful, it's, 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 um, it's got a lot of force behind it. So if we can take an interest in anger rather than being an angry person, then we develop a great strength. We, our, our awareness can hold that anger with interest, with patience, with, with compassion, and, and get to know, well, what is this? What does it feel like? What does it do? What happens if I don't spit it out at that person? What, happens, what's, what has happened when I have spat it out at that person? You know, and and to, to really like, take responsibility for our own conditioning and uh, and how we relate to that how we meet that how we take care of that and with with desire you know if we have a lot of desire and we just keep following it then we create a lot of problems whether it's just to ourselves you know we may be just uh, very greedy we eat we eat too much and we get gout and stomach problems and one of those things, so it could be like that, or it could be that we, you know, um, destroy, you know, break up people's families and make, you know, problems with, with just following desire without really thinking about the consequences. So whatever, whatever, in whatever way it's happening, or it can be like on a really big scale, like the. You know, the corporate businesses, a desire for, for power and wealth that, that it will stop at nothing, you know, will, will break, will destroy whole countries, will destroy, you know, will, the whole ecosystem of this planet in order to get a short-term benefit. And this is going on. This is greed. This un, unrestrained greed. And the, the result of that has great devastation on, on others, human and animal and uh, plant and mineral, all of it. So, you know, to, to follow our 
our desires and our, and our aversions, this is not the way to happiness. We can have a very temporary happiness, we can have a temporary security through that, but it's not, it's not going to give us any stability or any, any place to stand. So, you know, we need a certain support in, in turning and, and, and meeting this work. It's beautiful work, actually. It's, it's very challenging, but it's also beautiful work. There's a, there's a line in, the, in our morning chanting that's, that speaks about the Dharma. It says, the Dharma is beautiful in the beginning, beautiful in the middle, and beautiful in the end. I've often thought, well, the Dharma is beautiful in the beginning, it's really challenging in the middle, and it's beautiful in the end, but I haven't got there yet. You know. So it is challenging, the, the practice, but it is also beautiful. And when we start to see you know, the, the, the effect of what we're doing, of, of how when we change our relationship to these afflictive emotions, to this conditioning of this being here, each of us, when we change our, our relationship to that and response to that, then we are in effect changing the world in a, in a little way. We're changing our world, we're changing the, the world around us, our relationship to the people around us. We're putting something else out. And instead of putting our energy into reactivity, negativity, or, or, or wanting, greed, we, put it, we can put it into you know, benefiting ourselves and others consciously. So it does take a certain amount of strength to do this. And one, one really great support for cultivating inner strength is the, the five precepts, which some of you will be aware of, some of you maybe not. The, one, the first one being to not to refrain from killing another living being, including tiny little spiders and mosquitoes, to refrain from killing any living being. So sometimes we just do it without thinking, ah, you know, something's biting us. Just kill the living being there because of a, 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 an irritation on the hand. So to, to, to get more conscious of, you know, here we are, we're sentient beings. That mosquito was a sentient being too. We just killed it because it felt a little bit uncomfortable. So there's not a lot of inner strength there if we're doing that. You know, just have to have the strength that we can brush it away. You can put on mosquito repellent and so on. You don't have to, you don't have to just stand, lie there being eaten alive by mosquitoes or anything. You know, we can use skillful means. But just to, to recognise that you know, we're all in this together. Human, animal, insect, fish, bird, trees, all of it, everything. We're all in it together. And we all affect each other. So, you know, the first precept is, is, is making a, um, a boundary, not to kill. We can take it further, we can refine it, uh, you know, not to harm, not to, co- not, to co- not to intentionally cause harm. But the actual precept is saying, don't kill another living being, stop there. And uh, the second precept is to refrain from taking what is not given, so stealing. So that can be really like blatant, you know, robbing a bank, or it can be just little little things you do, little corners that get cut, you know, you're just then nobody's gonna notice, I just take that off there, or just you know, round that number up and you know, so it's it's just to to have real integrity, not to take more than we need. You know, most of us live 
with much more than we actually need. And because we do, others don't have enough, struggling to survive. So to, to bring a sense of consciousness to what do we actually need. So it's not to be, not to live in an impoverished way or not to have, to have not enough, but to have enough. And to have that sense of, of recognising that this is enough. This is a sense, when we have that, we have this sense of fulfilment, of fullness. Because sometimes we can have endlessly be having more and more and more, and it's never enough. So we never get that. We're always looking for fulfilment and satisfaction. We're never getting it. Because we're not stopping and saying, is it enough? Yeah, it's enough. Hey, that's great. I have enough. I can rest into that. Until the next time when I'm thirsty or I'm hungry or I'm cold or hot. And then I can respond to that condition. So it's very important to take the... the the moment you know, to have the presence of mind, to recognise when there's there's enough. It brings a great uh, sense of happiness actually in our lives to do that. And then the third precept is um, to refrain from is worded refrain from sexual misconduct, and this is this is about um, using our sexuality in a in a respectful and responsible way so not to use other people or um, there's a a whole wide spectrum of of possibility in this precept but it's not to not to take advantage not to abuse others not to also um, It's in a little bit. It's you know to 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 not um, say have sexual relations with another person's partner or spouse. You know to to respect that boundary and you know, to use to use your sexuality in a way that's that's loving and generous and uh, respectful to yourself and others. So this is also one of the precepts that's, that when, we, when we, we keep that, then it does cultivate a certain inner strength. We're not just following our desires as we feel like it. The mind gets flooded with, with desire and then we're just following that and then, okay, we'll deal with the consequences later. You know. But to, to actually have the, have the restraint and the strength within ourselves to recognise, okay, that's crossing a boundary. I don't want to go there, I'm not going to go there. Or maybe I want to go there, but I'm not going to, out of respect for myself and others. And then the, the fourth precept is the precept of, of right speech, which, very, which literally is not, not lying, not telling an untruth. So th- that sounds, you know, sometimes we've translated it as not lying, and people say, oh, that's much too basic, you know, you want it to be more subtle and you know, not, not about harmful speech and not about um, gossip and backbiting. So we can do that, we can divide it up, we can, we can refine it in that way and that's very good. But on a basic level, to be honest and straightforward about, with our speech, it's already more than most people are, are doing, actually. <laughs> so, and, and to look at those times when you feel like, oh, I'm just going to make a little white lie, you know, oh, it just doesn't really matter and, or just cover that up and pretend that didn't happen. You know, the, in the path of awakening, we're, we're, we're opening it up. We're not protecting and defending ourselves in the same way. We're not hoarding and 
pushing away, but we're, we're opening it up moment by moment. So just looking at why do I need to cover that up right now? Why do I need to lie about this? You know, it's, it's about self, it's about a self-image, usually. It may be, you know, if, we, if it's about saving the life of another person, then, you know, there are situations where it's, it's uh, maybe appropriate even. But usually this is about, it's about a, a presenting ourselves in a particular way, not wanting to people to know things about ourselves that, that are true or that have happened. So, you know, just to really bring that to mind and see, notice when those times arise in your life and to see, well, what, you know, what would it, how would it be if I actually just told the truth now? And, the, and if that's too much, then just to keep quiet rather than, than telling a, a, um, a lie. So... You know, and then we can refine speech much more than that. And that's also, that's also really, really good. Speech is a great way of cultivating inner strength because it's one of the most difficult precepts to work with for most people. And uh, you know, to really speak in a skillful, present, mindful way, is, it takes a lot of attention, a lot of mindfulness, and a lot of skill. So you know, we, we have those impulses of anger or impulses of excitement or and, and we say things w- without mindfulness and then you know it can create all kinds of complications you can end up having like an hour's processing to try and work out to try and sort out one sentence that you said without mindfulness you know and you, you kind of wish that you'd been mindful in the per- first place and not had to go into all of that so you know to bring mindfulness to our speech and, and to use it as a skillful tool rather than just as a, a way of letting off steam or of, or of bolstering up ourselves with someone else. And this is something you can, you can really pick up as a practice, you know, how to use generous speech, compassionate speech, wise speech, honest speech. You know, it's, it's quite a practice, you know, it's really, really picking it, pick it up and, and, it's not, and it, you'll see, I do anyway, that... The, the many, many times in a day when, when, it, when it's not generous, it's not wise, it's not compassionate. And to uh, you know, really see like the, this each time is an opportunity to change that, to change that habit, that pattern. And then again, you know, you're putting something good out into the world. And then the, the fifth precept is uh, around um, refraining from using intoxicating drink and drugs, which lead to carelessness of mind or heedlessness. So this is, again, you know, as you know, you have a few drinks and the speech is very loose. You know. um, so it's about you know, staying, staying present and mindful and awake and aware. And uh, you know, that can also take certain, a certain inner strength, I mean, particularly for anyone who's been in, called an addiction, and it takes a lot of strength actually to not follow the desire for a drink or a whatever it is that you're addicted to. You know, that takes a lot of strength. And when we're when we're in that experience of, of you know meeting the challenge, it can feel very difficult. And, and sometimes we just feel like, oh, I just want to, I just want to you know do something. I just want to enjoy myself. I just want to do something easy. I don't want to have to deal with this. And 
But you know, we, we can look at it in that way, or can, we can look at it in a way as here's an opportunity. Here's an opportunity to grow strong. Here's an opportunity to, rather than be a, a victim of life, to to be to start to develop the qualities of a of a hero, of a, of a, of a or even maybe a warrior, if you have that kind of spirit. You know, we don't we don't have to just always follow the easy path, but to recognise that the, the challenges we meet are opportunities. They're opportunities for growing, for, for and for letting go, for letting go of our old habits, for letting go of our our perceived limitations. You know, we, we think ourselves into incredible limitation. And that's also often to do with our conditioning. So to you know, in our practice to stretch that, just to meet the edge and then push it a little bit further. Not to just stay within our comfort zones or what we believe ourselves to be, but to keep investigating, challenging, questioning, rising up, and to keep letting go of what we, of the, of the, um, the person that we have thought ourselves into being. It, I was on retreat recently in, in a very beautiful place up in Lost Coast, in the, in the kind of wilds of California. And uh, when, you're, when you're in nature, when, you're, when nature is very vast and, and human beings are very small in that, we're just a few people, um, you, you start to notice that in order to create the self, a sense of self, you have to think. You have to think yourself into existence. Because when you're just walking and there's just the ocean and the grass and the pelicans and whatever, the sky, there's no need, there's absolutely no need for self. It has absolutely no relevance at all. Pelicans don't care. <laughs> and then you have, and I notice, I've noticed this, this and I start thinking and I think myself into being somebody with a story and then and there'd be a contraction. And then it'd be me walking in nature with the pelicans and the ocean and the grass. And then it'd be like, it was much nicer actually before the me popped up. It's lovely. It's no problem at all. And suddenly there's me there with, the, with all these kind of you know, stories and hopes and fears and memories and all of that's coming up. And there's this kind of contracted experience of being somebody. And then Experiencing that in, in nature, it's like, well, this is ridiculous. <laughs> Why am I doing this? You know, and it's a, it's a habit. It's a deeply ingrained habit to think ourselves into existence. So when we know that, well, it's first of all, you've got to you've got to investigate. You've got to notice it. You've got to explore yourself and take take interest. But once we start to see that, then we can we've got a bit of a choice. You know, we can either keep doing that. Or we can say, just let it go. And when we let it go, you know, we, we tend to think when we let it go, then we're going to be enlightened. You know, then we're just at one with everything. And, but my experience was, you know, sometimes I did experience that sense of being one with everything. Sometimes it was quite a contracted state because I had some stuff coming up, and. That is also, but if I can bring presence to that and know that this is a conditioned state, this isn't who and what I am. This isn't the eternal me that was born and has been like this forever and is going to be like this on my deathbed. This is just a state that's arising right now. 
based on past conditioning. And then when I can meet it in that way, it's like, it's, it's okay. It's a process. I am a process. Ananda Bodhi is Ananda Bodhiing. You know? And that's all that's going on. And, it can, and then there can be a sense of holding that, letting it go through its process, and then it ends. And oh, there's a nice relief when it ends. It's lovely. And then something else comes up, and another, another aspect of Ananda Bodhi starts Ananda Bodhiing. And then that's going on. And that's all that is going on, really. You know, we, it's going on all the time. We, we, can, we can meet it with interest and, and presence, or we can meet it with attachment. And when we meet it with attachment and grasping and identification, we become the process that is arising now, that is based on past conditioning. We become that. And when we become that, then we, we are bound. You know, we we're caught, and there is suffering. It's, it's, it's painful to be somebody. <coughs> being somebody, as Ajahn Sumedha said once, being somebody, anybody at all, is suffering. <laughs> I like that. Because, you know, we always look at other people and think, oh, if I was like her, if only I had like him. But being somebody, anybody at all, is suffering. So this is about letting go of our attachment to our idea of who and what we are, and seeing this as a process. This body is a process. It's, it's ever-changing. It has been from the moment it, it, of, you know, the, that the sperm met the egg, it's been changing. It will keep changing through our life until we die. And when we die, it'll keep changing without what we call us. It'll just keep going. So it's, 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 it belongs to nature. It's doing its thing. And we call it me and mine and try to make it the way we want. And it, it is what it is. And the feelings that arise, you know, they come up and they're very strong. You know, and it feels like it's me and I'm being, and I have to defend myself. And, you know, and there's this very strong sense of me or, or I really want that. And there's this strong sense of me. And it actually it's just a feeling that's arising in the moment, a feeling of wanting, or a feeling of lack, or a feeling of, of fear or anger, defensiveness. These are feelings. They they arise here in our in our hearts. And you know, as you as you, as you continue the practice you find that if you don't follow them, they also, just like this body, have their own lifespan. They come up, they're there. I don't mean suppressing them, I'm not talking about suppression. But you're present with the condition that's arisen, the feeling that's arisen. It's there, it's present, it's overwhelming, it's demanding your attention, and you're staying present with it, you're staying present. And then it's kind of giving up, it's nothing, nobody's doing anything, it starts to quieten down, it starts to quieten down, and then it's gone. So that happens whether you follow it or not. If you follow it, then then you do something, you act on it, then you create karma in the world, you, and uh, you know it has its repercussions, and then the feeling goes through its process, and then it ends, just the same, actually. So you know, our inner strength, cultivating inner strength, is this, this strength of awareness that can be with conditions as they are. To be fully present with things as they are. 
And sometimes we think if we do that, we're just going to turn into doormats, you know. That, that we just, oh, okay, I'll just do whatever you like, say whatever you like, and I'll just take it, you know. But it's not like that, because we have wisdom, natural wisdom. And the wisdom knows what to do if we listen. But wisdom isn't angry, it isn't wanting, it isn't frightened. Wisdom is clear. So, you know, you can, you can recognize if it's coming from that place of turbulence, probably isn't wisdom operating. And you need to take a bit of time, let that settle, just as I Santachita said at the beginning of the, the morning, like a glass of muddy water. You know, so that when there's turbulence in the mind or in the heart, it's like the water, the glass of muddy water is all stirred up, you can't see clearly. So you've got to just let it settle. Give it some time, as long as it needs. Give it time, and then, then you can see what's silt, what's mud, and what's clear water. You can drink the water, maybe. So this is a, a lifetime's practice, you know. So also when we when we first come to the teaching, we we feel like. Okay, you know, learn to meditate. Uh, you know, get get my cus, get my sealer together, my like my my basic ethics together a bit, and and uh, maybe go and do a retreat or two, and then okay, that's it. I'll get enlightened, and I can have a really good life. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> you know, it's actually a, an ongoing process. It's, it's it's not that it's not that one one never gets to the place of of peace, you know, but the peace arises in the moment. It, it can only arise in this moment. So the practice is bringing us back to this moment again and again. So we're, we're working with the very simple, safe um, tools of the, of the body and the breath, which are always present here and now. And then when we develop strength with these tools, then we can work also, we can bring the same presence and attention to the more volatile and uh, chaotic part, uh, experience of feeling of, of uh, feeling and emotion also so we all have this capacity and uh, you know as I said at one point through this talk the Buddha pointed to the, the conditioned and the unconditioned so the, the, these, these tur- this turbulence of mind, this is conditioned. And the mind that knows that, that can be present with it, this is the unconditioned. So when, when the mind is aware of even the most extreme, challenging emotion, when there's awareness, presence, then that presence is not stirred up by the... By the uh, challenging emotion. The presence is clear and, and stable. And then the emotion is doing what it's doing. It can be very strong and overwhelming. And then it, it subsides at some point. And the presence is still here. So it's important that we develop this with little things first. You know, little challenges, little aversions and, and desires. And then we, we develop that inner strength that can deal with basically anything. And when we, when we have that strength, then we have a place of freedom right here. We don't have to make the world perfect. It's, the safety is right here in our own hearts.
with us wherever we go, 